in patience, McCallwee, to come up and uh, join me on stage, if you would, please. There you are, right there, sitting close to the front. Amen. Uh, for the last several weeks on Sunday mornings, we've been highlighting uh, the ministries and the missionaries that we support. Stanley and Patience McCall, we uh, serve in Kenya, Africa, on uh, Navigator staff. They have uh, a ministry to families, to, to young couples, and he is the director of that ministry. Um, he is in town, and not the least in which is to prepare Rich and Kathy Smith for their trip to Kenya, and they'll be helping you out for a couple of months, right? Yeah, three months. And uh, so I wanted Stanley, uh, this is a rare occasion to have, and uh, wanted him to just share a little bit about the ministry with you, and uh, we are going to pray for them. I, I didn't tell Patience that I was going to ask her to come up, but she is a big part of his ministry. And so I'm glad that you have the Chance Heritage family to meet them so that you can be praying for them in the days ahead. So, uh, Stanley, would you share with us? Is that okay here? Is it on? It's, it's okay. Okay, good. They got it. Privilege to be here this morning just to share with you some of what God is doing in Africa. We got in last night, but we had a good 12 hours of sleep, and uh, we are awake this morning. <laughs> God has called us to reach the continent of Africa with the gospel. And the approach that is put on our heart is to advance that gospel through families and existing networks of relationships. God has given everybody a network of relationships. It is said in Africa that it takes a village to raise a child. Well, the typical African village has grandpa's home in one corner, has grown sons in another corner, and their children, and values are taught at family level, but they're enforced at village level. And we are trying to recreate spiritual villages within Africa. Because when people migrate to the city, the village that's made up of blood relatives is disrupted. But we are related by the blood of Christ. And we are trying to coach families to walk with God and to tap into relationships that exist through their children, their children's friends, the natural pathways that already exist for the advance of the gospel. It's a slow process, but if we did a quick census here to find out how many of you came to Christ through families and networks of relationships, the majority of you would put up your hands. And so we want to use this proven method of advancing the gospel to reach Africa through networks of relationships. And we thank Heritage Church for uh, supporting us through prayer and financially over the years. And now um, Chip and Sidney McWilliam have been visiting Kenya on short-term missions. And now Rich and Kathy Smith are coming for three months to help us raise leaders who will accompany us as we travel in Africa to advance the gospel. So I want to thank you very much. My, my wife's going to greet you, 
and then we'll be done. Good morning. Yeah, thank you, church, for your love and support over the years. We always know heritage is home. Thank you for sending us to Nairobi and to the rest of Africa. And we really appreciate every last one of you. Thank you for the young children who have sent cards and all, and many of your Sunday school groups have sent us cards to just love on us. Thank you so much. We appreciate you and may the Lord bless you in all your support for your missionaries and also in your homes and right here in Heritage. May many people know Christ because of you. God bless you. Amen. Wait, wait right there. We're going to pray. Amen. Go ahead. Oh, Father, our, our praise and uh, honor is to you as our great God who calls out men and women, and you gift those men and women uh, for, for ministry. And uh, Stanley and Patience are one of those rare couples, those of us who know them, know their depth of commitment, their love for the Lord Jesus Christ, their desire for the worship of people, who are in the nations, and uh, Lord, that they come to faith in Jesus Christ. So would you bless and anoint them? Thank you uh, for, again, this rare privilege of having them in our church uh, corporate setting so that they can share with us. We pray for them. We send them back, uh, Lord, to bring the blessing of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a very, very dark place. And in advance, we pray for Rich and Kathy as they are continuing to prepare to go and uh, spend uh, an extended amount of time with Stanley and Patience in their work. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to take uh, your scripture, your word, and turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And I'd ask you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We're going to read verses 13 through 18. Uh, this is part three within the, uh, the series from the book of James about wisdom. Genuine faith acts with God's wisdom. An incredible passage of Scripture. I've already preached two sermons on it. I don't know that I can do it justice in this third and final message, but we're going to move on. Uh, today is packed. We've got the Lord's Supper at the end, and as you can see on your outline, this is a 22-point sermon that we are going to run through and give scriptures, and hopefully the application will be straight to the heart and will bring about life transformation no matter what the age of everyone in this room. Who is the wise and understanding among you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, it is now our prayer as we enter into this study of your word that uh, you do what only you can do. We can lay out what you have said in this your inspired word, but your Holy Spirit must take it and apply it to our lives. So I pray that you would do that that you would be glorified as your people are edified, and that this would not just be a Sunday of just preacher talk, but that it would be your word finding its way into our hearts and that it would change lives today. We thank you for hearing our prayer and for in advance for answering our prayer. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Shakespeare said, now I know in quoting Shakespeare, I'm not saying that he is a theologian, but he said something many years ago. He said, the world is a stage, and that's true. But you and I, Christian, we have to believe and we have to know before we believe that there's much more at stake than just our world around us. True, the world is our stage to manifest the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. But I want you to get a a bigger picture, a more expansive picture, because sometimes I think we can turn inward and we miss God's goal and His purpose for all of history and humanity. You see, we manifest the glory of God's wisdom before the nations and before all men. But if you look at this passage of Scripture that I've pulled out of Ephesians chapter 3, it's not just the Gentiles around us and the nations, but we have a bigger audience. It is the entire creation. Now get a feel for that, what you and I do as we live out our lives either as fools or as wise men and women speaks to a cosmos populated by angelic beings, both good and evil. And I alluded to it in that statement that I said just a minute ago, the manifest wisdom of God John 3 says it like this, 1 John rather, that we will manifest one of two kinds of wisdom, either man's wisdom or God's wisdom. How will we know? It's evident, John says, who are the children of God, who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Now, with that as an introduction, 
Let's look at the outline, and we are going to, again, rip and run through this. I had a seminary professor who used to say we're going to run like Jehu through the streets of Jerusalem. I never in the world understood what he meant until I went back and looked at that story, but we've got to move quickly. We're going to give these bullet points. I'm going to give you scripture. We're going to stop along the way and try our best to illustrate this. Man's wisdom. Let's look at first. That's, that's what you've got in, in your outline. Man's wisdom is from below. Let's look at a couple of statements about that. Last week, we defined man's wisdom basically out of the Proverbs and other passages of Scripture That person is called a fool. We looked at several passages of Scripture about that. The fool says in his heart there is no God. And I tried to point out to you, I remind you, and there are some of you who weren't here this last week, when we use the word fool, most often what we're talking about, or what we mean by that, is someone who just acts silly. The Bible doesn't have that meaning. It is one who acts wickedly. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Romans says it like this, for although they knew God. Look at this, the general revelation of God. All people know that there is a God. But what do they do? They make, the, they make the big switch, the great exchange. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Last week, I asked you the question. I'll ask it again. Can this kind of wisdom ever be good? The answer to that is no. Not on your life. Follow James' thought. In fact, if you've got your pencil and you want, you're, you're getting ready to put some scriptures in there, if you can just draw a line from that from below all the way down to demonic. And I posed the question last week, can anything demonic ever be good? There is a wisdom, man's wisdom, that is all of these things, and it is demonic. Follow the pipeline down, and you will see that. Jesus even said these words in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. He said, To them, he was speaking to a group of religious people. You are from below. They had a hard time getting their their minds around this. You are, and then he goes further. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Man's wisdom is from below. Let's look at some of the signs, two of the signs of man's wisdom. We have bitter jealousy and we have selfish ambition. Let's try to define those. Bitter jealousy. Uh, Let me just use some words that might describe this. 
envy, suspicion, given to rivalry, contentious. Bitter jealousy is the kind of attitude where a person does not like to see others succeed or be recognized. There is another sense of this word. It means a boiling over or a bubbling up. Let me just stop and ask a question. Isn't seeing sin in other people so easy? Let me give you a biblical example of bitter jealousy. Do you remember a guy by the name of Cain who had a brother named Abel? You remember the story. If you're biblically literate at all, you've heard of that story. And all that we, we know from Genesis 4 is that Cain rose up and he slew his brother Abel, the first Murder was committed in Genesis chapter 4. But the New Testament gives us some more insight into what, now listen, into what was in Cain's heart. Because by faith, Abel offered to God a sacrifice that was more acceptable than Cain's. Because it was a heart matter. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, There it is, that direct pipeline, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Specific answer, because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, I dare say that there's nobody, I hope that there's nobody in this congregation, this audience today, who has a bitter jealousy that goes all the way to the level of a Cain against a brother like Abel. But God said something very important to Cain that I think that he would say to you, if you have any measure of bitter jealousy toward another, he said, look, sin is crouching at your door. I would just ask you this morning, And I don't know what's gone on in your heart this last week. Is sin crouching at your door and its desire is to overtake you? Do a little inventory and see if that is the case. Let's move on. Selfish ambition is next. This is the attitude of what's best for me. It's the desire to be on top. It's the desire to be noticed. Very, very similar to to bitter jealousy. It's a rivalry, but that's motivated by self-interest. It's what the Bible calls a party spirit, but not a political party. Those who gather together with their own thoughts and attitudes and ideas who strike out against those. It's a party ambition. I saw the title of an article last week. I haven't yet read the article, but I was so taken by the title 
that I, I printed it off. I, I've got it on my stack of things to, to read. And I thought the, the title of it will fit here. I don't know if the article will. But do you remember the, the old song? I think Carly Simon sang it. You're so vain. You guys know that song? Uh, it's a great song. You're so vain, you probably think this song is about you. Well, this guy wrote this article and he entitled it, You're so vain, you probably think this church is about you. See, Shakespeare said the world is a stage. A person with selfish ambition says, no, 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 let's let's personalize that. The world is my stage. It's all about me. Now let's look at some characteristics. Arrogance. Oh my. An arrogant person is unrealistic about himself or herself. Boastful. Condescending. Dismissive. Defensive. Now, the arrogant person, and by the way, I really believe that None of you thinks that you're particularly arrogant. But the arrogant person, let's measure it by this, is arrogant and demands his own way because he knows that he's right. Another famous line, not from a song, but from a movie. Many times your ego is writing checks that your body can't cash. You create your own own self-esteem resume. But see, boasting is simply the inner condition of pride in an outward expression. I was reading a couple of articles in preparation for this sermon today, and I came across an article that referenced me back to a, uh, to, to a movie that I, I thought was excellent. I recommend it. I don't recommend a lot of movies, but I recommend this one. It's the movie entitled Expelled. Anybody ever seen that movie? Expelled. Write it down, and you, you can probably rent it on Netflix or whatever. Ben Stein, an actor, uh, did a very engaging video about how that, the, that God has been basically removed from the marketplace and academia. And in in one clip, it's fascinating, of this movie expelled, Ben Stein interviews Richard Dawkins. You've got you've got it's on it's on YouTube. You've got to see that interview. Because in my estimation, Ben Stein just in asking very gentle questions, exposes the arrogance of a man who says there is no God. Now, Richard Dawkins is brilliant off the charts in terms of the ability to know things. There is no doubt about that. But a man who says in his heart there is no God is by biblical definition what? That's arrogance. That's that scoffing spirit, the haughty man. 
who acts with arrogant pride. But, but it's not just a Richard Dawkins. How many times have I arrogantly said, God, in this instance, I am going to be my own God because I know better for me than what you do. And what do you think flows out of the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and you drop on down and it causes all kinds of disorder and every kind of evil thing? It's two people. Listen, this could be in a marriage. This could be between siblings. This could be out on the road. This could be in a church. But it's two people who basically says in this matter, I'm God. And when you've got two people saying that, you do have disorder and every kind of evil. Let's move on through the list, okay? Wow. This this is kind of depressing, the life of a fool, isn't it? He's dishonest. He's unreliable. Undisciplined. Hmm. I think is a part of dishonesty because it's self-deception. It's lying against the truth. Lying against the truth. It's changing the word from baby to women's rights to make murder okay. A person who's dishonest is unreliable and undisciplined. Now, here's my theory about being undisciplined, okay? You might not agree with this, but I believe, I I, I remember this years and years ago, somebody was talking to me, and they pointed to a brother, and, and, and they said, that guy is so disciplined. Now, they didn't know him as well as I did, and, and, and yes, in certain ways, the guy got up early in the morning, and he jogged, and he went to work, and he was so structured, he was a type A, he just had everything in order, and he said, man, that guy is, is so disciplined, but I knew some things, and so I, I said, here's a theory, and, and I'll, I'll test it on you. I think that everybody in this room from the youngest to the oldest, is highly disciplined in certain areas and a slob in other areas. Okay? You're thinking, well, what in the world do you mean by that? Let me share it with you. There are some of you, let's take the young people. Even the children. There are some of you who may be very, very disciplined in terms of dance. You like to dance. You go to class. You're so disciplined to learn how to dance. Or maybe you're, you're disciplined in the area of athletics or music or your study. But your parents might say, yes, highly disciplined in that area, but come look at his or her room. Proves my theory. Disciplined in some areas, slobs in the other. Or let's take an adult. I said a minute ago, like this guy that, and it's been many, many years ago. I knew that he was highly disciplined in all of those things that the other friend was talking about, 
but I also knew that his marriage was a mess. Because while he was highly disciplined in certain things, he was a slob in terms of his relationship to his wife. Fool is worldly. Man's wisdom is worldly, earthly, living by fallen world standards in terms of success and methods and motives and other things. James, we're going to come to this in a couple of weeks, the Lord willing. He says friendship with the world is hostility or enmity with God. Whoever wishes to make himself a friend with the world makes himself an enemy with God. A worldly person celebrates sin. Did you see that quote right up at the top of the quotes in today's worship guide? Kevin DeYoung, worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. A habit, if not resisted, soon becomes a necessity. And what the parents excuse in moderation, the children will run to in excess. Worldliness. The wise person, according to the world, is also filled with natural wisdom, sensual, temporal, without grace, without the Holy Spirit. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. They're foolishness to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually apprised. A person who is a natural person lives according to his senses and his emotions. Colossians chapter 3, Paul speaking to the church at Colossae said, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even in tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ Their end is destruction, and I find this next phrase incredible. Their God is their belly. Meaning that they are enslaved to to fleshly desires and emotions. And then finally, James gets to, to to the bottom. He works his way down, and he ultimately says, it is Demonic, that's the ultimate characteristic and the source. Again, Jesus said to this group of religious people, you are from below. You are of your father, the devil. I, you know, Jesus was, was love, the very definition of love, wasn't he? And yet here he is being so straight with people because he loved them enough to tell them the truth. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, whatever makes a practice of sinning, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. This does not mean a person whose life has changed. They are on the road to sanctification and righteousness, but this is a person who always pursues the path of sinning. James, the apostle of love, again, does not mince words, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, why? To give us salvation so that the works of the devil might be destroyed. Then the results, disorder, 
every kind of evil, these things, the world's wisdom opens up a Pandora's box of every kind of evil, confusion, chaos, disharmony, antagonism, absence of unity, absence of stability, anarchy because they are not anchored in the word of God. That's the fruit of man's wisdom. And it is depressing. And it should look depressing, and it should be avoided at all costs. Now, let's move on now to the next part of the list, God's wisdom. You remember for the last couple of weeks, I've said that there is a difference between knowledge and wisdom, right? Okay? Knowledge is just knowing facts. And those facts are in themselves neutral. But what we do with them is either foolishness or wisdom. For example, the stove is hot, that's knowledge. Not putting your hand on it is wisdom, all right? Somebody after the message this last week, I'd never heard this, but apparently some of you have, a great definition of the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting a tomato in a fruit salad. So there is a difference. And and let's go back to this. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. As depressing as the life of a fool is, And basically, a fool doesn't even realize how depressing his life is. He thinks it's great. He thinks the life of a wise person is dumb. And yet, God says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. And and, and this is a parallel. It, It would be a great study for you to do. I did a little study this last week. I knew that there was not time to go into this. But this is almost a parallel to the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. I don't wonder about that because James was the Lord's brother. Probably knew well the teaching of his. Now, wisdom, God's wisdom is from above. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Colossians 3 says this then, since you have been raised up with Christ, seek the things that are above. Because in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's look at some of the things. Here are a couple of signs. Good behavior and gentle deeds. Good behavior. Simply a life patterned after the truth. Now, not perfection. I I keep trying to emphasize this. We're going to really gospel this, folks, because we need to. But it will be increasingly, for every believer, a life patterned after the truth. And remember this, sanctification will be marked more by repentance than by perfection. Okay, did you get that? Sanctification, a wise life, will be marked more by repentance than by perfection. 
I grew up with a guy that had a dad. And one of my friends said to this young man, asked him a question one day. They were just playing. And he asked the question, Why is your dad always in a bad mood? I knew that other young man well, and he started trying to defend his dad. But he knew deep down inside that what he said was true. Here's the irony. Maybe it's not irony. Maybe this is just normal. That guy's dad had his kids in church. Now, back then, it was every Sunday morning for Sunday school and church, every Sunday night for training union. Anybody remember training union? And Sunday night, sir, and, and church, and every Wednesday night. That, that in some ways, is ironic, but I'm afraid that more often than not, that is the truth. Why is your dad always in a bad mood? not characterized by good behavior and gentle deeds. See, see, our life is a kind of show and tell. A witness is not just something that you say, it's something that you are. We are witnesses. The saving power of Jesus Christ, and we will either be good witnesses, starting in our homes, starting in our marriages, and then going out in concentric circles. Those are the the two signs. Let's look very quickly at the characteristics. Oh, my. Pure. A pure person, one walking in God's wisdom, does not allow a fool to drag him or her down to his level. A wise person purifies himself just as he, the Lord Jesus, is pure. Now, this is a gospel statement. I'm not trying to put on you works, but rather the reality of the gospel that says because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been declared pure. So live out of that purity, unmixed, uncompromised. I'm just going to give a word about this, and we are going to come back and address this more because I've had a couple of questions about it. We're going to address it specifically in our annual meeting. But last week, some things in the Houston Chronicle came out. I don't know if all of you are aware of this, about a study that had been done in the Southern Baptist Convention, citing hundreds of examples of pastoral abuse, children and young people in the church, naming names, prominent people in the SBC that have stepped down. Now, I had several very, very good inquiries. What do we have in place? Have we taken the initiative to make sure as much as humanly as possible that these things don't happen in our church? Because while we have a congregation that is wise and strives for purity, these things do happen. And I can tell you, We will expand on this. We don't have time today that we have put things into place. 
that if you don't know about those things, I think you would be very encouraged to know that we have done those things and are looking at more things that we can do. Pure. Peaceable and gentle is the next one. Peaceful, healthy, wholesome, healing, not tearing down others, foregoing vengeance. In the face of injury or result, uh, or, or insult, forgiving when justice tells me I have the right to condemn. That's what being peaceable and gentle is all about. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. Reasonable. I, I love that word. Reasonable. That simply means teachable, approachable, quick to hear. Now, even as I go through this, and this is very encouraging, I, I, I am convicted because there are times when I'm not quick to hear. I'm quick to speak, quick to hear godly counsel. A reasonable person is cooperative, flexible, willing to yield, easy to work with. The biblical example I think of there is Abraham and Lot. When Abraham, by all rights, could have said, I'm going to take the best land, but he gave Lot the choice and deferred to his choice. And by the way, was greatly blessed because of that decision. I've heard it said like this, that reasonable people know when to speak their mind and know when to mind their speech. Merciful is the next one. A merciful person, listen to me, is compassionate, considerate, and helpful. And there are some of you who are wired like that. I thank God for the gift of mercy in people in this church. We have to remember that if Christ received us, showed us his mercy while we were yet sinners, then we must extend that same mercy to undeserving people. Mercy reaches out to the down and out, the awkward, the outcast. Thank God for merciful brothers and sisters. It's bountiful. A bountiful person, unwavering person, stays the course. Whoever brings a blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The fruit of righteous is like a tree of life. And, and I love this. He who is wise wins souls. And uh, Stanley, you said it a minute ago in your ministry. I thank God. I had a, 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 a father who came to me this last night or this last week, and uh, I heard the story of, of, of him and, and in his family, his wife, and how that his young son wants to be baptized. I said, do you want to baptize me? He said, yes, I do. And he told me the story of, of, of the change in this young man's life. And folks, that's why we encourage those fathers to, to give a testimony in the waters of baptism to, to, to see that it starts right there in the home. A father or mother who wins souls among his children is wise. Let's move on. Sincere, without hypocrisy, not two-faced, not opposer. And then we see the results, a harvest of righteousness. That 
yields peace, relational harmony, reaping what you sow, believing God has infinite knowledge about your situation and the wisdom to deal redemptively with it. Again, this is gospel stuff. You have been justified by faith, and you have peace with God, and that is why we in turn strive to be at peace with all men. Beloved, you and I are going to have to decide whether or not we are going to be a fool or to be wise. Let me make this statement. I don't know if you've thought about this. You're going to have to decide to be a fool in the eyes of someone to be wise. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are not being saved, but to us it is the wisdom of God, the power of God unto salvation. Who cares what the world says? They're going to say you're a fool, a religious fool, and we know of the salvation that we'll be celebrating in just a few moments. If you do not know that salvation, I pray that today you would make the wisest decision of your life to repent of your sins to turn by faith to Jesus Christ, to receive his forgiveness and come into the family of the forgiven. Would you bow your heads? And I'm going to ask as you sit there in meditation, I'm going to pray here in just a few moments. I want the men to take their places at the tables as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. And I want to pray for you as we do. Lord, uh, we know that You have given us your word and your spirit so that by them we might truly be those who walk in the steps of the wise and not the foolish. And so we thank you for that and pray that you would give us wisdom and insight. And those who do not know you today, oh God, woo them, draw them so that they may be savingly joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you now, Lord, as we segue into the taking of the Lord's table and help us to glean the meaning, the gospel meaning of these simple elements of the bread and the cup. We thank you that you will guide us in this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as the men come among you, I invite you, even if you're not a member officially of this church, But if you are a part of the family of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ, we invite you today to be a part of our family and to take the Lord's Supper with us. We did this this last time. We're doing it the same way this time. Whenever you take the cup, remember there are two cups. One of those has the wafer. The other has the juice. We'll pass those among you, and then we will partake of those elements.
Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. If you'd stand, we're going to sing closing song and then have our benediction, and then you'll be dismissed.
sin. Now, may the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. You are dismissed. Because it's not because it's very exciting for you to find out what's happening.